Greetings and welcome to the worship services of Alamo First Baptist Church. I'm Brother Chris Rigby. I'm standing here this morning in front of our bell. This is the original bell that was at our old location uh, years ago. It uh, was there when the church was first built and it was always a call to worship. Well, when we moved to our new campus here several years ago, we brought it with us. And not too long ago, we got to put it up. We're so excited about it because it reminds us that we're coming together into this building to worship. And we are excited that today you've decided to tune in to our broadcast to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our prayer this morning is that you will see the great love that Jesus has for you and the great love that we have for you as well this morning as we worship together. We look forward to meeting you and your family and we invite you to be a part of any of our worship services, our activities or ministries here and if you'd like to get in touch with us, probably the best way to do that is just drop us a line at our email address, alamofirstbaptist at gmail.com. All of it spelled out, just gmail.com, alamofirstbaptist. We look forward this morning to worshiping with you. We pray God's blessings upon you and your family as we go inside now and we worship together. Let's go ring that bell for Jesus.
as an orphan, he was not made to be a sinner. God is providing the Lord of truth. But soon proclaimed an idol of Babylon and made a little trip to more ungodly. And their message was cleared like him. Himalayas is a little part of the truth. He has strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrections are in fact. <laughs> and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Having this to them, the Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. For in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone chooses himself from the latter, he must be a vessel for honor, sanctified as a vessel for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of pure hearts. But avoid foolish and ignorant teaching, those of a generation prior. And as servants of the Lord must not adore, but be given to all, able to teach, patient, and humility correcting those who are not human. If God pronounced and grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. What is the goal of the resurrection? This is Second Timothy's responsibility as a letter to Paul again. This is one of my favorite ones in the Bible. And I've spent so much time in Timothy. What is the goal of Paul's letter to this church? David Glass is the CEO of the Walmart from 1988 to Back in 1962, he heard that a guy named Sam Walton was about to hold the grand opening for a second store in Harrison, Arkansas. Glass, who was running a successful drugstore chain in Missouri, decided to attend Sam Walton's grand opening. What he saw did not encourage him. You see, Walton had gone from truckload truckload to watermelon in the front parking lot. He also had a bunch of donkeys in the parking lot for the kids to ride. Well, the temperature and the aquaculture had got up to about 150 degrees in that year. The watermelon started exploding again, and of course the donkeys were struggling to eat food. Looking back on that day, David Glass recalled the parking lot was a mess, and the inside of the new store was also a mess. I thought Sam Walton was a nice fellow, but I wrote him off. It was the worst store operation I had ever seen. Well, 25 years later, David Glass is working for Sam Walton as president of what had become the most successful chain of retail stores in America. Glass explained that there was something inside of Sam that made him improve every day. He was not a man who said impossible ideas, but he was a man who always aimed for a better goal. Aiming for a goal is important in every area of our life. Aim determines our results in basketball. Before we have close the game. In football, you shoot the ball, you shoot the ball, throw it to the open receiver. The way you aim a pistol determines the direction that the bullet will travel. But too often, we're inclined to kind of go ad hoc, so to speak. We use this method of ready, fire, aim. 
You're not going to get very good targets from them. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we have to understand what our goal is. The Apostle Paul answered that question in the last letter he wrote to Timothy. In the second chapter there, that very first verse, he says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things you have heard from me in my many witnesses, commit me to faithful men who are able to teach others also. Paul wrote this letter from a prison cell. He knew he was going to be executed, but Paul also knew he had the destiny to make it into his disciples. So he told Timothy to invest the message in other reliable men who would continue the disciples' process. This is the goal. It relates to worship, it relates to discipleship. The goal of the disciples is to make disciples, to follow Christ, make disciples, to relate to more disciples, and so on and so on. If you think about it, that disciple process is why you and I are here in this room today. The reason you're in church this morning is because someone disciples someone who disciples someone who disciples someone who eventually led you to Christ and discipled you. So who are we discipling? The main way we disciple others is through our Christian service. That is what the church is all about. Uh, the life of a congregation is centered on discipleship. Whether you teach a class and end up in a nursery, or you read people in the front door and take it up the altar, or setting up tables for fellowship dinner, or visiting people at the hospital, or making a phone call, or at home, right now, everything that brings you in contact with other Christians or with people who might become Christians is a chance to disciple others. No Christian is too young or too old to disciple others. If you are young, the ones that are younger than you are anxious. Whether they are little brothers or sisters that teach you at church, the way you receive them makes a lasting impact. Of course, those of us who are parents are disciples. Our children every single day. Like in the mind, people have a tremendous influence on our children, as well as our spiritual mentors, our nephews, our grandchildren, and so on. So the question is not will you have an influence? The question is will your words be disciples? If you're an older person, a seasoned Christian, your disciplining days, your discipling days are not over. You're showing others what it means to follow Christ for a lifetime. Even if your health fails, God has a purpose for your life. Uh, I've seen people disciple others from hospital beds, from a wheelchair, from a nursing home. And in all honesty, it's probably the prayers of our older generation that keep our church standing up right now. So, I want to challenge you and encourage you today in this because it is to do what Paul asked Timothy to do. Choose someone who you can disciple. Maybe that person's name is going to be Jesus. Ask God who that person is. Make time to be with them and invest yourself in that person so that they will be able to disciple and invest in someone else. That is the goal of the disciples. But it won't be easy. D.L. Moody says, It's better to train ten people than to do a work of ten people, but it's still hard. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul shows us. Uh, Throughout the whole chapter, he shows us seven portraits of what a disciple is. Uh, though it's not exhaustive, they are very strong. They suggest of character and 
characteristics of the disciples. Note so that Jesus are in verse 1 and children. In verse 3 and 4, and children. In verse 5, and answer. In verse 6, a father. Down in verse 15, a worker. Verse 20 and 21, he has a vessel. And in verse 24, a servant. Each of those is a civil servant of Jesus Christ, maybe the pastor of God. Today, I just want to focus on three of those and talk about three things it takes to be a disciple. The first thing it takes is the dedication of a servant. Verse 3 and 4 says, You therefore must endure hardship for the good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare and famous himself in the affairs of his life, but he may please him who enriches himself as a soldier. A good soldier makes a difference in the world. Someone has written that the soldier, not the preacher, who gives us the freedom of grace. The soldier, not the reporter, who gives us the freedom of success. It's the soldier, not the poet, who gives us freedom of speech. It's the soldier, not the protester, who gives us freedom to assemble. It's the soldier, not the lawyer, who gives us the right to vote first. It's the soldier, not the politician, who gives us the right to vote. The soldier who not only salutes the flag, but serves under the flag, fighting for our country with that flag represents. Soldiers make a difference in this world, a difference to which you and I should always be grateful. So while it's surprising that the Bible would use a good soldier as a model to you and I how to be a disciple. Uh, if you take the notes and you want to write this acrostic down, uh, I got an acrostic for the word soldier. Is it true? Wrong. This is precisely something he told me that the devil would attack him with everything else that's on him, knowing the fear that can come to an individual every day goes against him. And, and all his friends let him down. Paul urged Timothy be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He wanted Timothy to look as thorough, not at the circumstances around him. He should serve God to the victory and for the grace to face whatever he faces. Paul had learned that God's grace is sufficient for all things. Uh, remember that Paul was facing death. He was to be executed by the Romans on false charges, and he was a revolutionary against the state. Timothy was going to be his successor. He would soon take over the main responsibility for all the churches scattered all over the world. The responsibility for spreading the gospel across Europe was simply this. We stand up under the pressure. We handle the problems and the circumstances as they arise. We live in a work enough, saved enough, learn enough, love enough, witness enough, preach enough, teach enough, endure enough, and do enough of the Spirit. There was only one hope for Timothy, just as there's only one hope for you and me. Timothy needed a living strength, a strength that could drive him to conquer any circumstance, soaring at any point and serving the time. That strength can only come from one source, and Paul uses that. That the strength that Timothy is just the gospel. The O stands for obedience. Paul told Timothy, in other words, do not have to obedience. A good soldier always follows orders from their commander in chief. A good soldier always focuses upon his commander and his words and obeys them. Our commander in chief, Lord Jesus Christ, is sometimes easily developed by the desires of our minds. Hell, a soldier is loyal. Verse 
told that he may please him who had entered him of the church. Nor was he being faithful in allegiance to the and to a person. One of the most important directions he learned in the military conversation was the good soldier learned to receive a moral sort of lesson, how to always be faithful to commanding officers. Paul described this attitude to Timothy when he said, This soldier of Jesus Christ is committed to putting into combat instruments of the church, who will listen and be faithful to the preaching of the church. He tells us to follow him, lay down our lives for him, and for one another, to obey him, not just out of duty, but out of a heart of love. He died not just to give you a ticket to heaven, but to enlist you as a good soldier of his army to mold you and empower you to be a soldier who is complete for him. Dean stands for the preacher. Your salvation says you have to be a good preacher. For Paul urged Timothy to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. One thing he was reminding him about is that we are his own enemies. The world is an enemy, not just across the globe or in other countries, but in the spiritual realm as well. Our wars are not a battle within our territory, within our community. We are fighting a war between the forces of God and the forces of evil. One of the Ephesians 6 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Paul is not just using nice language here. The war that Paul writes about is very real. It's going on right now in the lives of every one of us here. Some of us here are fighting against temptations that are trying to defeat the dragon standing in you. Some of us are warring against discouragement and depression. Others are fighting to hold on to our faith in Christ. Praying and doing all we can not to give in to the battle of the enemy. Some of us are fighting for brothers and sisters clinging to their salvation and to their eternal promise. These battles are not won by the sword of heart, but by brave soldiers who are ready to fight for the Lord and to never give up. We shall not be won by the strongest arms or the best weapons. We will be won by those who keep praying. He believes me never give up. The promises of God keep you going. I stand for individuals. As he continues in verse 4, no one engaged in any affair but Caleb himself with the affairs of his wife. Individual men were possible to divide and separate. It's exactly how a soldier is. He is not the total handling of the day to day business. He's always focused on this call of the soldier. He knows why he is there, and he does it to work for him. Paul is not referring to a man working on a furlough or working at a desk, a headquarters. He's talking about a soldier that is working at home on the front lines. A man on active duty cannot allow other business to interfere with his military responsibilities to command his people or his fellow soldiers. A soldier in the field of defensive battle has a full-time job. He has to be alert, active, both mentally and physically. He must be detached from all that will entangle him and draw his attention away from the battle that he is in the midst of. And let me add, as the, as the church, we are committed to be responsive to the battle that they are facing. E stands for endurance, to suffer hardship in purpose. 
deal from taking the whole solution. And so all soldiers do. Soldiers will carry parts with them. And so he does not lay behind for certain duties. He doesn't seek to escape the battle or refuse to carry his load. And he doesn't deny the cause. He doesn't reject the commission. He doesn't hide from the work. A strong soldier stands with other soldiers and suffers the hardship of the struggle with them. He sacrifices all that he gets and adds to the cause. Matthew 10, 26 says, He says, It may be my all for my name's sake, but he who is nearest to the end will be saved. A strong soldier loves the hardship. An arm stands to serve. A soldier can never let his guard down. He must always be ready to fight. First Peter 1 Peter 1.13 says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I love the example of girding up the loins in the Bible. We used to love teaching in the Sunday school and the Sunday school program. Because you get the idea that they wore these long flowing robes most of the time, but it's not. There was hope for hunting and active activity. And there was a way they could tie that type of animal. And if they pulled up something like a very old bit of they were going to kill it. But that's what it meant. You didn't walk around with your rope flowing loose. You had it tied up and ready to go at all times, right? A good soldier is strong, obedient, loyal, protective, independent, enduring, and ready. The soldier lives the hard life. He knows that he says the things he and on the way, he's likely to endure deprivation. They get extreme confinement. Soldiers are without food, food and water. Soldiers of active duty are not allowed to get involved in civilian affairs. Paul said a soldier's whole being is completed since the day he arrived. So back then, generals were putting their own soldiers to command an officer. Well, very often, the man who recruited them. That practice continued up until this century. Back in the 1800s, the Titans had an army general named uh, Garibaldi. He became a legendary hero by recruiting an incredibly dedicated army of volunteers. This is how Garibaldi recruited. He would appeal to his recruits in this way. I offer neither pay nor quarters nor provisions. I offer comfort, thirst, forced marches, battles, and death. Let him who loves his country with his heart and not just his lips only follow me. Jesus Christ gives a similar appeal to any who will follow him. Let him who loves God with his heart and not his lips only follow me. As soldiers who follow Christ, we might be fighting a spiritual battle, or we might be enduring hard times, we might be in a time of need, but no matter what, we are encouraged. We aim to please our commander officer. We stay away from anything that would displease Jesus. Like soldiers, we are completely dedicated to the Lord we are there to serve. Number two, in verse five, we see the discipline of an athlete. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Paul used athletics a lot in some of his other letters. It he saw the importance of it. I think he called in a sports fan. Like he had to have someone standing on his shoes and in the register. You know, the Christian life is far more active and aggressive than most Christians have lived their life. The Christian life is not a spectator sport, but it is a game focused 
there are certain other plays that prevail in every farmer field of his days in the agricultural process. He has to always look down to the earth and get it to grow. He's cultivated some of the trees that still hold the season. But if they all or not, what he sows is what he will produce. There is a law of laundry. A farmer will reap more than what he sows. Each of bags of seed scattered in the field produce multiple crops and birds and seeds, but largely from the same. They have a law of labor. After sowing, one must wait for the harvest because it's going to be as a patient and as trust as they do as you wait for the Last says it all over the world. If we everything is harvested, if we consumed it all and never set a single side for the next planter or for the next generation, it's going to be an evil. That's the law of love. We love people enough that we keep providing for the next generation. It's been said to the typical farmer that we pull out every seven years to do a financial drop-down for this farm. Farmers have to plan regularly to capacity farmers get one paycheck a year and harvest time crops and everything else. No paycheck for every season. It takes patience, persistence, and plenty hard work to be a successful farmer. Farming is no hobby for a person to have a It is a commitment that requires all of our time and resources. In the same way, a disciple who wishes to disciple others needs diligence like that of a farmer. The harvest doesn't come in a day, it comes in a month. And if the disciple doesn't mature overnight, then we have to be patient. Most disciple training I'm aware of calls for at least a year's involvement. One and a half years of disciple. But the harvest will come. The harvest comes because those who disciple will disciple others. Then the two of you can disciple others who will disciple others. And so imagine the impact on the church if every disciple maker in the church grew a new disciple this year. And then next year, you grew another disciple and stayed the same. The multiplication is, is beyond understanding. So Paul ended this section of the letter with these words. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. This is what gave Paul the strength to keep the Sabbath. Timothy Remember today, if you haven't put forth that process, that part of your 
you don't have to be talked to every one of them. You don't have to have all the answers or the body of the truth. But if you don't take the first step and say, I have to do this, God's good to me. Someone decided to get someone to the gospel with me. I've had to share this with someone else. It's very sad to say sometimes that often it can't be very discouraging to hear because they don't worry as much about what other people think or what they say or how they react. We as adults don't like to judge people much. When we want to disciple someone and we want to care for someone and love them, they have to go home. And it makes it hard for us to discern. And so we tend to push back in those things that we do. But let somebody feel in your heart today. Maybe you need to come to the altar this morning and come to the Come bathe that morning in prayer. Most of you all over here in this auditorium are going to be disciples. If you don't know my Lord, I can help you with that. I've got a church full of them, but I can always keep up with you. I'll use you, I promise you. It's always overwhelming sometimes trying to keep up with how they do. But we have to find a way of which those two generations were disciples and ministers living. And we're going to go over. We're going to have infant Christians running around everywhere one day that don't know how to cook kale and share the gospel or how to disciple another person. It's very deceiving to those Christians to welcome someone to the faith and make them thank you. Congratulations. This is the greatest decision you've ever made. Enjoy the rest of your life. Sometimes you and I both know that from that moment forward, every day is a natural battle. Maybe you're here today and you've not even thought about the process of this. Maybe you need to be disciples. Maybe you haven't prepared your Christ. Today could be the day that you can do it. And come talk to us today. And we would love to share the gospel with you right now at this moment. In all, everything you start with one bold, brave step. The step I'm here to surrender myself to God. The step to say that I need to be discipled. The step to say that I was blessed to be discipled and I need to return my thanks to God. Too many times I've told on myself and the, Paul used the word so much in this letter, the word to commit or to instruct something to any of his disciples. And when we commit or instruct something to the Lord, to instruct, we're part of the of the kingdom. That's where you're going to make your investments and you go bigger if you're a disciple. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for being with us here today. Father, we thank you for your spirit, for your presence. Thank you for being a holy and loving daddy that looks after us, cares for us, disciplines us, teaches the word. We're all a little wild sometimes, and we just want you to come to see we're no different than children. God, forgive us for where we have made mistakes. Forgive us for not doing the job that we should have been doing in life before. Lord, it's hard to admit. I'm the first one to mess it up, God, because I put other things in front of you. I put other things in front of the work that you've called me to do. There are people that are faithful to be disciples and learn how to lead others to you. They want to know more about how to serve you and how to make a difference in this world. Lord, we all feel lonely and we wonder why things don't change. Forgive us that we are proud to get up and start things and not do them. Father God, we just love you and I pray that if there's any someone here today that doesn't know you, God, please come forward and God allow us to 
to show them the first step of that road and that the process is for them to take a hold of it, that that will help our system to show them how to use the blessings to give, show them how to get them instead of the use of them. I would just love you to thank you for the blessings you have and the blessings you have given us. We pray God's blessings upon you as you worship with us today. If God has led you to make a decision today for Jesus, we would love to hear about it. We invite you to come to our website, cometothecross.net. Our online decision card will allow you to tell us about the decision that you're making. All decisions, all contacts are kept private and are confidential. However, we would be able to pray for you and perhaps I'd even be able to call you and pray with you about what God has led you to do if you so desire. So fill out the form, let us know, and just know that we love you and God loves you. And we're excited that you're taking this first step for God today.